Presented by Pharma. Hey, good morning, playbookers. I'm Raghu Manavolan. It's Tuesday, and the fallout of the censures of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger has made its way to the Hill. This is your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. Hill Republicans returned to town on Monday and lit into RNC Chair Ronna McDaniel. Senate Republicans went on the record to say that looking back to 2020 is a losing strategy that won't help the party flip both chambers of Congress. And they're furious that the RNC would dub the activities of January 6, quote, legitimate political discourse. We're not just talking here about an expected Mitt Romney rebuke, though he did call his niece's decision, quote, very unfortunate, even stupid. The pushback extended from rank-and-file lawmakers all the way up to GOP leadership, as Politico's Burgess Everett, Marianne Levine, and Olivia Beavers write today. Senate Minority Whip John Thune, the number two Senate Republican who might replace Mitch McConnell as a GOP leader someday, had this to say, quote, The focus right now needs to be forward, not backward. If we want to get our majorities in the fall, it's better to turn our fire on Democrats, not each other. Senator John Cornyn, another potential McConnell successor, quote, They did say in their resolution that the job was to win elections. I agree with that. But then they go on to engage in actions that make it more challenging. Even Trump ally Senator Lindsey Graham was mad enough to call McDaniel and personally express his disappointment that the RNC was moving, quote, in the wrong direction as the chamber's fate hangs in the balance. Quote, All of us up here want to talk about forward, not backward. And National Republican Senatorial Committee Chairman Rick Scott, who has aligned himself closely with Trump, distanced himself from the legitimate political discourse language. He told CNN's Manu Raju, quote, That's a decision that members of the RNC get to make. I think what happened on January 6th was wrong. It's worth noting, though, that late Monday night, Scott defended McDaniel more generally on Twitter. Here's the question, though. What now? Privately. Many Hill Republicans hope the RNC will learn a lesson from the episode. The controversy is why House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy didn't want to kick Cheney and Kinzinger out of the House GOP conference. He worried it would become a major distraction from issues voters care about. Indeed, the RNC's discussions about midterm strategy last weekend was drowned out by the censure drama. Defenders of the RNC say the Senate GOP should stop clutching their pearls. They argue that this is now Trump's party, and if the RNC members want to go this way, McDaniel had no choice but to do what her members wanted. McConnell plans to publicly address the censure today. The GOP leader has been something of a broken record in trying to tell his party to focus on the future, not the past, so you can imagine what he'll say later. Don't expect similar public rebukes from House GOP members. McCarthy has long instructed his caucus to deflect or not answer reporters' questions about the latest Trump outrage and internal party divisions, and keep the blunt words for private discussions. Less than 24 hours after Politico's White House correspondent Alex Thompson reported that Eric Lander, President Biden's top science advisor, bullied and mistreated co-workers, Lander has resigned. Alex is here to talk about it. Alex, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for coming. Um, so set the scene a little bit for people who weren't following the story. Uh, who's Eric Lander and what was going on? So Eric Lander is a world-famous scientist. He won the MacArthur Genius Grant at age 30 in 1987. He was a pioneering scientist on the human genome. CRISPR, he also was on the board of the Biden Cancer Initiative in 2017. So when Biden won, you know, Biden anointed him to basically be his chief science advisor. He was the leader or basically was put in charge of the Biden Cancer Moonshot. He was also uh, tasked with developing Basically, we could get like a a variant-specific vaccine ready in 90 days. 
You know, mm-hmm. uh, OSTP, which is the office he leads, Office of Science and Technology Policy, is unique in that it is like this, you know, very you know wonky agency, but it's located inside the executive office of the president. So mm. unlike sort of like HHS, which you know has its own department, its own like big building, this is a science department within the White House itself. And as a result, you know, because Biden has faith in him and wanted to sort of show that, you know, science is back is something that he said a lot. He, for the first time in in history, elevated the title of director of OSTP to a cabinet level position. So how did this start? I read from your story that there was um, bullying and mistreatment going on within the department. Uh, what did you hear and when did you hear about it? So the first time I heard about it was in November you know, I wrote this uh, very short story about Eric Linder driving everyone in the White House a little bit crazy uh, because he mm-hmm. would be impetuous and he would, you know, he was going down to Capitol Hill and like making nego- unilaterally making negotiations with senators on stuff the White House had already negotiated uh, separately and was tr- sort of driving people nuts. And then I got this uh, anonymous email after I wrote that story. And it basically said, you missed the bigger story, because right now everyone is just rationalizing this story as, oh, you know, science, big brain guy, just doesn't know how government works. And it's just being sort of eccentric. Mm. And that was sort of what, you know, I guess was the opening of the rabbit hole that sucked me in for, you know, three months now. And slowly but surely... You know, I started collecting evidence and talking to people. And, you know, I had hours and hours of conversations off the record with many, many people involved in this story before they even got close to moving any of their thoughts on background. So, and it wasn't until, honestly, about uh, three or four weeks ago that I found out, in addition to all the the complaints I had been hearing about his behavior, uh, which were many, I learned that actually the White House itself had investigated mm. uh, whether the exact same thing I was investigating. The White House itself had concluded that he had created a toxic workplace. That was sort of what uh, led to the ramp up the last two weeks. Yeah, you know, one of the early policies I remember hearing during the Biden transition was that there'd be zero tolerance for bullying, right? And I remember Press Secretary Jensaki kind of dealt with questions why Lander kept his job after this news broke. Uh, it seems like they were struggling a little bit about what to do once your story came out. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how can you reconcile the fact that on your inauguration day, while you're swearing in political appointees, you declare that you are going to fire anyone that's disrespectful towards their colleagues on the spot, no ifs, ands, or buts. Right. And during the briefing today, it was a lot of ifs, ands, and buts. Hmm. And it's telling also that the investigation found that over a month ago, but they only took action once there was a story about it. I saw in your write-up for Playbook this morning that there was a call between people in OSTP, and this is super fascinating to me. Would you mind just walking me through kind of some of the viewpoints you heard on this call? Absolutely. So so basically, you know, a, a source leaked to me a recording of this call, so I got to hear all of it. And it was it was so interesting because so Eric Lander's on the call. Most of the senior leadership of OS, OSCP is on this call. And the chief of staff, Mark uh, Adenoff, sort of kicks it off. And what's sort of telling is that there is no 
you know, this was like a, a bullshit story or this was, you know, the, the press out to get us. It very much is them reckoning with what the story says, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think in some ways like you should give them credit for. Like they, they were, I think they were like, there's a little soul searching going on. And so mm-hmm. it, Mark sa- says, I'm quoting here, like, I really struggle with what to say here. There were some things that article that were surprises to me and some that, you know, weren't. Mm. One of the many troubling pieces is the way in which the current work culture at OCP prevents the work from happening. You know, one person in particular, you know, we, we agreed to give this, this, you know, we agreed basically besides chief of staff, um, basically agreed to give everyone anonymity. That was sort of the conditions of getting the reporting. Um, because at this point, they're all OSC senior leadership. And, you know, one person said, I think most people are looking to see not words from Eric. They want to see behavior change. Mm. And so I think that will be the true measure of how we will move forward is whether we're actually seeing the kinds of behaviors that match the words in contrition. It was in many ways like a brutal senior staff meeting. But it, I think it shows the ways that the office itself was grappling with the extent of the behavior, some of which they they knew, some of which I think they knew pieces of. Right, but no one had the whole entire picture. So exactly, had like a separate piece. It seems like what's going on. Yeah, and I do, yeah. and I do sort of think you know sometimes in in um, you know the Zoom culture that we're in. This is something a lot of sources told me is you know in the Zoom culture we're in. Sometimes you you get you can sort of gaslight yourself, and you think, oh, maybe it's just me. And you don't realize that like everyone else is experiencing the same thing, but because you're not in the office and like sort of like gossiping on the side, you know, on the side and like talking about the latest meeting, sometimes you just like, maybe, maybe this is just something else. I think it was a brutal meeting. I think the soul searching you saw in that meeting is part of the reason why uh, Eric Lander will no longer be director of OSTP. Alex Thompson, Politico White House correspondent, co-author of the West Wing Playbook. Uh, Thanks for coming on today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House. At 10.15 a.m. Eastern, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris will receive the president's daily brief. At noon, Biden and Harris will have lunch together. At 1.45, Biden will deliver remarks on manufacturing, union jobs, and energy costs with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. At 2.45, Biden and Harris will receive the weekly economics briefing. Press Secretary Jensaki will brief at 2 p.m. The Senate will meet at 10 a.m. to resume consideration of Douglas Bush's nomination to be an assistant Army Secretary. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy will testify before the Finance Committee on Youth Mental Health at 10 a.m. The House will meet at 10 a.m. All right, that's all I've got for you today. For more news on what's breaking in D.C. right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Raghu Munavalan. Have a great Tuesday. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. Washington is trying to lower medicine costs with government price setting that'll risk access to medicines and future cures. Instead of government price setting, let's lower medicine costs the right way. Let's cap your out-of-pocket costs. Let's stop middlemen from pocketing your discounts. Let's make insurance work the way it's supposed to for you. Let's protect patients the right way. 
Visit phrma.org slash protect patients to take action. Paid for by Pharma.